0: You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today we're continuing our series, More Than Conquerors. More Than Conquerors, and we've actually been going. Uh, beginning last week, we're going through the Book of Romans, Chapter Eight. Romans, Chapter Eight, and uh, we we started with this idea last week, talking about. In fact, the title of last week was "I Am." free. I am free. And uh, today, if you're taking notes, is today's uh, title is I am a child of God. Each one of our weeks over the next couple weeks is a declaration based on the truth of what God's word says concerning you and I in Christ Jesus. That as we have a relationship with God, that we are free, we are forgiven, we are adopted, we are brought into the family, and ultimately leads to this point at the end of the chapter where we recognize that we are actually more than conquerors through him who loved us that he has done something Jesus has done something in our life that is more than what religion can do it's more than what the world can do Jesus does something transformational on the inside of us changes our identity changes our future changes our our inheritance changes everything for the better as he brings us into the life of God in Romans 8 verse 2 says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death we We looked at last week how uh, in Romans 7 preceding this chapter there's a kind of a, a, a conflict going on. And Paul the Apostle, as he's writing this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, makes this statement that I recognize there's two kind of, he, he didn't use this wording, but I'll, I'll just to explain it. He, he says there's kind of two forces at work in my life, that there's two forces. The, the, the good I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. He's describing what it's like before Jesus, that, that we we have this conflict. And even after you have a relationship with God, many times we live Subject to the effect of something that Jesus died on the cross to set us free from, and we feel this conflict. Uh, I used to just feel like my, my Christian walk was like a being on a roller coaster. I had high highs and low lows and, and, and often I, I found out the reason for that is what Paul describes in chapter seven. He says, "Who will save me from this body of death this this, this work he, he says i 've got the influence of what he describes as the flesh, the sin nature this this force in your life that is working for for the purpose of death and, and de- decay and destruction, and yet there's also the Spirit that's working for your freedom, that's working for your victory, that's working to bring you to God and then in Christ to set you free. And, and he asked that question, who can set me free? And maybe you, you've had that same question in your life. There's things that you've struggled with, and maybe you tried through your own willpower. Well, hey, this year I'm going to change. This year I'm going to break this habit. This year, I'm going to grow in my faith. This, this day, I'm going to... And, and we, we make all these commitments, but then we find we lack the power often to carry them out, to fulfill and to walk in what I think most Christians know what we should do, but we struggle to carry it out. We know we should pray. We should be in the Bible. We should gather as the church. We should, whatever it is. And yet we often find that we are, feel in our own powerless to accomplish that. And yet Romans 8 gives us the answer. And it starts with what we looked at last week, which is that there's no condemnation in Christ. See, religion motivates through shame, through fear, through control. But the Bible tells us that God draws us through his love. He empowers us through the Holy Spirit. He sets us free to live for him. And he enables us through his grace and power to do what we can't on our own. It's the difference between me kind of pulling myself up by my bootstrap saying, I'm going to do better this time, I'm going to try harder this time, and yet we fall short. And yet Romans 8 tells us that first there's no condemnation in Christ, we're forgiven in Jesus, we're set free. But then it leads us to where we're going to focus on today, beginning in verse 5. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally, that is just fleshly-minded, is death. And I'll describe what that means in a moment. But to be spiritually-minded is life and peace. You're going to see a word repeated through this section, and it's this word, life. To be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity. It's actually a war against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Uh, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life. There's that word again. He will give life to your mortal, your natural bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. So I've got a few simple points today from this, and we'll go through a few more verses through this chapter. But I want you to catch this because the the repeated theme here is this word life. So here's, here's the principle, there's the, this two warring aspects, there's the flesh and there's the spirit. And, and the verse says that if I set my mind on the flesh, that is the natural man, the, the life apart from God, that the result is death. The result is not just physical death, but spiritual death. And, and we see that there's this principle, in fact it, the Bible describes it as, the, as sin at work in us. Sin is what's contrary to the life of God. Sin is what robs us of the life of God, it's what keeps us from life, it's what in the beginning separated us from God, but it's also what keeps us from experiencing the fullness of the life that Jesus has for us. And, and we need to recognize that because these two things are at work and one is meant to destroy and one is meant to bring life. The spirit brings life. And this, uh, this verse here that I just read to you, verse 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, we just had Easter uh, at the beginning of, of April and we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. God raised him from the dead. That is life. That's the power of the life of God. In fact, this word, uh, life, that would be used here is not just any life. It's not just that you have breath in your lungs, and that's a part of it. It's not just that your heart is beating, uh, and that's a part of it. But it's actually a word that at its root, in the original language that the Bible was written in, means the life of God. It's the life. In fact, everybody has life, but it's actually borrowed life. Jesus is the only one who has life in himself. And so if we want to find life, we find it in our creator. We find it in God. We find it in Jesus. But here's what it says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life. So not only does he have life, but he wants to give life. And uh, point number one is this, as you're taking notes, is that God brings us back to life. You know, you may have realized over time that your body has its limitations, that, that maybe you used to be able to accomplish certain things when you were younger, but then you find out there's certain things that you couldn't do that you used to do, or at least now you've got some aches and pains with it. And, and, and we realize that there's certain things, there's, in fact, all of us have demands on our life that drain us, that deplete us, and, and can all the mamas say Amen. Uh, there, there's some things in our, our homes, our workplaces, our, our anything in life. We're expending energy, and we come to a place where we need to physically rest. Rest is a godly thing. It's a biblical thing. Rest is important. So if you feel bad for resting, then you're driven by the wrong thing. Are, are, are you with me? So it's okay to rest? Okay. <laughs> But, but here's what I want you to recognize, that there is a limit. And this verse actually has in mind, theologically, the, the resurrection that will happen one day as, as he raises us all to life in Christ and gives us a new body. And I, I believe that, and that's the main point of this verse. But there's a principle in this that the Holy Spirit, the one who lives on the inside of you in, in the relationship with Jesus, will give life. That where you're depleted, he fills. Yeah. Where you run out, he runs in. Where you, where you find yourself in, unable, he is able. And the difference between living a life on the roller coaster, living a life defeated, or living a life in freedom and victory is the difference of trying to live this life on our own or letting him live his life through us. And so the difference in this verse is that God wants to bring us back to life. He wants to give life. The King James is that he quickens our mortal body, that he, that he causes us to come alive and, and the world depletes you, the world will empty you. And, and in fact, just forget the world, just you yourself trying to live your life on your own terms will leave you empty every single time. But he comes to give us real lasting life. I know some people exist, but they're not really living. That's what this verse is talking about as well, that that the life of the Spirit is not just existing, not just going through the motions, not just marking days on a calendar, but it's living in the purpose, in the presence, and in the power of God to accomplish all that we were created for. Made alive with God. John 10.10 in the Amplified Bible describes it this way, the thief, Excuse me, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they, that is all of us, may have life, have and enjoy life, and have it in abundance. This is the Amplified Bible. To the full until it overflows. That's what it means to really live. To have joy. To have peace. Real peace. To have real fulfillment. To live for something other than just yourself. To live for what you're created to live for. Number two is, as we go through this chapter, is that God has given us, not only does God bring us back to life, but God has given us what we need to overcome. And, and I specifically want to target this issue because that's what Romans 8 targets, is that we have everything we need to overcome sin, to overcome the flesh, to overcome our fear, to overcome whatever is contrary to the life of God. Religion tells us you just have to deal with it. It's part of life. It's what you're going to struggle with until Jesus comes back or you die and go to heaven. That's a lie. Because Jesus paid a price to set you and I free. Does that mean you won't have issues or won't have to fight through things? Absolutely not. But it does mean that you have victory because of Jesus it does mean that you have available to you the life of the Spirit of God to enable you to do what you're created for. And that's not just church stuff. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was not given just so we can have services so we can have worship and so we can preach and so we can do church things. I love all of that. I think it's necessary. But here's what we recognize. He wants to fill your life, give you life, to be the parent, to be the father, to be the mother, to be the, the husband and wife, to be the, the, the believer, the Christian that he's created us to be. The, the life of God is needed for all of us to walk the way we're created to. Romans eight twelve says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, Well, I just can't help myself. This is just who I am. This is what my my daddy was like. This is what my grandfather was like. This is what they dealt with. And this is, you know, we're not in debt to that. We don't owe the flesh anything. We're not debtors to live according to the, and you could say instead of flesh, the natural man, the, the man apart from the life of Christ. For if you live according to the flesh, you're gonna die. But if by the Spirit, here's how he gives us the key by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. So, this, this phrase here is so, so here's what the Bible does not say <laughs> it doesn't say, fix yourself. It doesn't say, God helps people who help themselves. I know we say that, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say, clean yourself and then come to God. It doesn't say fix yourself and then come to God. No, no, we come to Jesus. The author, the one who's writing our story, the finisher, the one who's gonna get us across the finish line, the one who enables us to do what we're created for. In fact, the only way we can die to the flesh, because let's just be honest, the, the, the natural man has been what's dictated our lives all of our lives, It's that voice that tells you to live only for yourself. It's that voice that tells you to choose what's destructive instead of what's life-giving. It's it's that impulse, that direction, it's that pull, it's it's that thing that you may feel like you're unable to overcome, unable to fix about you, unable to deal with on your own, and the truth is you can't on your own. But here's what it says, but if by the Spirit, by God's Spirit, God's help, you put to death the deeds of the body. You, you, do, do you know the, the picture of following Jesus that's used in the Gospels is, Jesus said this, he says, whoever would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Why would he say the cross? He actually said that to a group of people who didn't yet know that he was about to be crucified. But he was describing at that time what was the, what was the um, how, do, how do I say this? It was the most brutal form of execution the Romans had the cross. And you could not crucify yourself. You actually couldn't. You could carry your cross. Jesus carried his cross to the hill of Golgotha, but, but somebody else had to nail him to the cross. And you and I, on our own, cannot just deny ourselves on our own. We need God's help. And I'll just tell you, there's some things that you can overcome quickly, and there's some things that, that maybe have taken some time, because you know the crucifixion is a slow death. Some of you are discouraged because you're like, man, I've been, I've been dealing with this for five years and I, I, I don't think that God, I, I'm ever gonna be free. Oh, you just keep running to Jesus. Yes. You just keep inviting the Holy Spirit to empower you, to help you to overcome this. Because that, that voice that seems powerful now will one day be silent. There's stuff at the beginning of my walk with Jesus that I thought was unchangeable about me. And I'll look back and I go, there's no way I could have done that on my own. I couldn't have changed my desires. I couldn't have have lived for something better than that. I couldn't have changed, broken those chains on my own. No, no, no. But we come by the Spirit. He says you put to death those things. We shut the door on it. Genesis 4 describes this a little bit. Uh, Genesis 4 verse 7. It's a conversation between God and Cain. Right before Cain is going to commit the first murder and kill his own brother. And... God comes to Cain at a moment that he's discouraged, he's having self-pity, and 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 I, I can get into a mess real easy just getting in self-pity. Anybody else? Feel sorry for myself, and then I start justifying attitudes and words and thoughts and and, and holding on to grudges, and I start pointing the finger and I start really, really it is their fault. And and I and I, and I get in that place, and that's where God finds Cain, because Cain brought to God an offering. And Abel brought to God an offering. The difference was Abel brought to God what God wanted. Cain brought to God what he wanted, what Cain wanted. And then he's upset. He's like, God, I don't understand. I mean, I brought you my, what I thought was important to you, but it really wasn't. It was what only was important to him. And so he come, brings it to God, and he's discouraged. He's upset, and he's mad at his brother. He's not even mad at God only. He's mad at his brother, too, because his good-for-nothing brother showed him up. I'll, tell, I'll show him, and he's, he's, he's stewing, and God comes to him and says, hey, why is your countenance down? Why are you discouraged? Why are you upset? You can do the same thing your brother's doing. And here's the word he gives him, Genesis 4, 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, here's what he says. Sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. I just can't help myself. This is just ruling my life. What I'm watching is ruling my life. What I'm looking at is ruling my life. What I'm thinking about, what I'm saying, who I'm around, these things are ruling my life. But the answer is in Jesus. We find that there is freedom found through the help of the Holy Spirit, through drawing near to God. Philippians 2.12 says this, therefore, my dear brethren, or my dear friends, as you have always obeyed not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. Listen to the statement. He says, work out for God, for it is God, verse 13, who works in you. What's our job? Work out what he's first working in. So when I want to get free in an area, here's how practical I get with this. I invite God, God start working in me. What does he say? To will, look at this verse, to will and to do. The will is the starting point. I'll just be honest with you. In 18 years of ministry, people don't do what they don't want to do. And people will always end up doing what they really deep down want to do. Like maybe we can have shame and guilt and we can tell people, I'll stop doing that, that's bad. And, and, and we think, well, i got to fix me on my own. And we, through our own willpower, try to change. But if, God, if we don't allow God to deal with us on the inside at this issue, at what we desire... So that's why, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I pray this very simple prayer. God, change my desires. Help me to desire you. Help me to desire your word. Help me to desire life more than I want this. And then here's the working out part. The working out is I'm gonna feed the right thing and starve the wrong thing. So we're like, well, God change me. God, do this. God, do this. Can I just tell you, There's our part and there's God's part. Here's our part, surrender. Our part is saying, God, I need your help. Some of us have never asked for help because we don't think we need it. It's getting quiet in this Mother's Day service. (laughs) We've never asked God for help because we think we're self-made people and we got it on our own. I can't take my next breath without God. So we ask God for help, but you know what God does? God does what only he can do. I can't do what only God can do, but he won't do what only I should do. There's my part and there's God's part. What's God's part? The change on the inside, the new desires. I'm gonna have a friend of mine share his testimony soon who's just recently, we got him a Bible a few weeks ago. And man, every day he's in this thing and he's feeding his desire for God. And he's hungry. And this is somebody who thought, I never could know the Bible like this. And he's just coming alive. It's transforming. It's life. And and I love that because when you feed the right thing and starve the wrong thing, it begins to allow you to work out what you couldn't on your own. Number three, if you're taking notes, this this is important. God will lead you if you let him. God will lead you if you let him. Uh, Romans 8. Let's go back to Romans 8, verse 14. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba's not just the name of a band, church. for I could tell the age difference in the room. Um... <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's an acclamation, it's, it's like dad, dad, father. It's, a, it's an intimate cry saying, saying we, we don't have fear anymore. Some of us are afraid of God and because we're afraid of God, we don't run to God when we need help. Have you ever, you remember when you were a kid and you did something wrong and, and the next thought is, don't tell my mom or dad. <laughs> the voice of fear says, oh no, my, my, my mom and dad are going to kill me But the voice of adoption says this, I need my dad I need my father in heaven, I need God's help I'm not going to run from God when I've fallen, I'm going to run to God I'm gonna, when, when I need his strength, when I need his grace, I'm not going to run away I'm going to run to, that's the spirit of adoption the spirit of himself, excuse me, the spirit of himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? Jesus got what we deserved on a cross so that we could get what he deserved as a sinless son of God. That to me is amazing. Yeah. That, that he would consider us. Like I, 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 Nobody is more grateful for what God has done in my life than me. And when I look back at where he brought me from, and I look at what God has done in my life and in our church and all of that, I'm incredibly grateful because, listen, he's made us heirs when we were orphans. When we were rebels, he ran after us. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with that confirms that, invites us. And I just want you to see this one thing that that he says, as many as are led by the spirit of God. See, see, how do you work out? How do you overcome? And how do you just frankly, not just overcome the wrong thing, but how do you walk into the right thing? Because religion can tell you what not to do, but Jesus comes to tell us what we are called to, what we are called to walk in. And I believe the key is found right here. Those who are led by the spirit of God. God wants to lead your life. And he will if you'll let him. Do you know pressure drives? I mean, people make decisions all the time out of pressure. The world pressures. Our email inbox pressures. Social media pressures. Our bosses, like we have all kinds of pressures. The, The economy pressures. There's all kinds of things that are pressuring around us. And if we live our life making decisions based on pressure, we'll be driven instead of led. If you want to know the key to freedom in your life and staying free, if you want to know the key to experiencing the fullness of the life of God, it's found right here, allowing him to lead the way. Because the enemy drives, in fact, Satan drives, condemnation drives, fear itself drives, You need to do this now, because if you don't, that person will leave you. It's fear that pushes. But the Holy Spirit leads. What's the difference? One is pressure. One is pushing you. One is drawing you. One is inviting you. The Holy Spirit will not force you. Well, God, if you want to do it, you'll just do it. No, that's not the way it works. I'm just being real with you. That's just not the way it works. He wants you to respond to his invitation. Remember when you were a kid and they played that game, red light, green light? Do you remember how the game goes? You shout out red light and, and, and you get somebody to try to like take a step and get out. If you, if you move on a red light, you're out or you start back at the beginning. Yellow light means slow down. Some of us need to learn that on the road. Yellow does not mean speed up to get through the intersection. (laughs) Green light means go, advance, move forward. And that's kind of how the Holy Spirit leads us. There's moments in our life where if if we'll let him, if we'll allow him to lead, he'll give us some green lights. He'll give us some yellow lights. Yellow lights say slow down. Why do you need to slow down? Because if you don't slow down, you won't be ready. You won't be aware of what's happening. And you might miss it. Or you might advance where you're not supposed to advance. And and this is important. And of course, there's the red lights. I know that we always want green lights. I don't know about you, but I want my relationship with God to always be green lights. I want all green lights, God. I want to go. I want to keep moving. I want to never stop. And then there's those red lights to that say, oh, that, that's not where you're supposed to go. That relationship, that, that opportunity, that direction, that step. What if in moments of transition in our life, we allowed God to lead? And how do we do that? Let me just give you this very practically. It starts with just asking. Have you asked him about that opportunity? Have you asked him about that job? I know it pays more than the other job, but did you ask him? Because if God's not in it, I can tell you, you don't want it. Right. Yeah. A little bit better paycheck is fine, but the will of God's much better, because I guarantee you, he'll bless you there too. Maybe God's trying to keep you from the wrong person. Have you ever gotten into something you didn't ask God about for, first? You get there, and all of a sudden, you're miserable. You have every reason to be happy, but you're miserable? I'd rather have all green lights, but what if we ask God to lead the way? Do you know prayer is actually a two-way conversation? You talk to God and let him lead. Uh, John 10, let's go back to that real quick. John 10, um, in John 10, 10, before we read that, I just read it a moment ago in the Amplified. I'm going to read in a different one in a second. But here's what it says in verse 27. My sheep, is Jesus, red letters in your Bible, my sheep hear my voice. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice. Do you know sheep? Um, I don't know if any of you are shepherds. I'm assuming not. I'm just a wild guess. But, but, but sheep that are domesticated are actually pretty helpless on their own. Like they can't, they will starve unless the shepherd leads them to food. Unless the shepherd leads them, they won't find food. In fact, a a sheep will, when it finds food, is so oblivious to its surroundings that it'll eat and eat and eat, and it'll go right off a cliff while it's eating. Sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus calls a sheep, and that may not be very encouraging to you. Like there's some phrases that don't always mean what you think it means. I learned this in the South when I lived in the South. Uh, people would say things like this, oh, bless your heart. And I thought they were trying to bless me. And then I found out what that really meant. Jesus calls us sheep, but it's not an insult. I mean, I'd be all for it if he's like, you're my lions. You're my warriors. Like you're, you're I mean, I'd even take a dog. Like you're, you're my dog. <laughs> He doesn't say that. He says, you're my sheep, and the sheep know my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. I think that's the key to what we see in verse 10, which says, the thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. It's right before that verse. The thief comes to destroy. He says, I've come that they may have life and they have, may have it more abundantly. There's a, a, an old illustration of a man who invited Jesus into his home and Jesus came to his house and he, he says, come and stay in my, my guest room. Jesus walks into his house before he goes to the guest room and he says, would you give me the house? He says, oh no, you misunderstand me, Jesus. I, I need you to help me In one area of my life, can you go to the guest room? That's where you need to stay. And right after the man invites him, he makes the room. And Jesus says, okay. And Jesus goes up there to the guest room. And he stays the night in the guest room. And in the middle of the night, the man's woken up by a loud knock on the door. He comes to the door. He opens it up and the devil's standing there. The devil asks him a question. He says, are you the owner of this house? Well, yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I am the owner of this house. And then the devil proceeds to beat the tar out of that man. And he enters into his living room and steals everything of value and worth in the living room. He leaves, the thief leaves, and this man wakes up the next morning next to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you stop the thief? Jesus asks him, would you give me the house? And he he says, no, I'm not going to give you the house. I made a guest room for you. Go to that room. And Jesus says, okay. And he goes to the room. Night two, there's another knock on the door and guess who it is? It's the thief again. It's the devil. He, he's at the door and he asks him the same question. Are you the owner of this house? And he says, yes, of course I am. What are you doing here? Leave. And, and, and the devil ignores him completely and walks right past him. Comes right into the house and then breaks into the next room and steals everything of value in that room and beats this man senseless and then leaves. And this doesn't just happen one night or two nights but it continues all throughout the week until at the very end of the week this man is almost completely robbed blinded by this, by this thief and, and then finally broken, he turns to Jesus and he says, here, I have nothing left. Here's the keys. Here's the deed. This house is yours. That night, there's a knock on the door. This man's... Terrified of what's coming. But this time, something's different because Jesus has the keys and Jesus has the title deed. Jesus says, hang on, I got this. And he opens that door. And when the thief sees Jesus, he runs. Because he has no room to steal from what belongs to Jesus. He can't overpower him. The issue is, In the story and let's be honest The issue in our lives is who owns the house Who's leading the way I mean I'm okay with Jesus being the shepherd As long as it means Well he saved me and he forgave me But but don't lead my life Jesus Don't control me (laughs) Don't tell me no But you know the key is to Trust the shepherd. you know why I think a lot of people have a hard time trusting the shepherd? Is we've met some shepherds. We've had some people in our life that should have been there, that should have protected, that should have fought for us, that didn't, that should have stood in the gap but didn't, that left, that hurt, that said the wrong thing. And, and, and that's where we have a hard time trusting to give him full and total control because we don't know. And that's why Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Who lays down his life for his sheep? Why can we trust Jesus with the whole house, with our entire life, with everything that belongs to us, with everything we are? Because he is the good shepherd who's already laid down his life for us. He's already proven his love. He doesn't have to prove his love anymore because he's already done it through a cross. And when I give him everything and I say, Jesus, you lead the way, you own the house, you're in charge. Invites God to do what only He can do. Jason, if you want to come, here's what Psalm 23 says The Lord is my shepherd. Some of y'all are King James. You're like, I shall not want. (laughs) (laughs) I lack nothing. I lack nothing when I allow Him to be my shepherd. When I allow him to lead the way, but yeah, I follow Jesus, and, and this didn't happen the way I wanted it to. And this, he didn't say I'll have everything I want, but he did say I'll have everything I need. Yep. And he gives us the desires of our heart, and I believe all of that. But here's what I want you to recognize: that there's sometimes we have to trust that he's the shepherd, and the end result is going to be this very promise: I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though, some of y'all King James people are like, yay. You know what I'm talking about. Yay though I walk through the, valley. even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Following Jesus means living free from fear. Free from shame. He says, you lack nothing. He says, For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. He doesn't just bless you, protect you, provide for you. He blesses you right in front of that devil that used to rob you blind. Last point, number four, is God has your back today. Let me read this last verse, Romans 8:26 and 27. Says, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with with groanings that that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And there's so much there, but I I want you to get this last part. This phrase makes intercession is only used here in the entire, there's other words for intercession or Similar words. But this word means this. It's the only time this appears in the entire Greek New Testament. Here's this word. It means this. To fall in with on behalf of. So here's the picture. You fell into a pit. The Holy Spirit comes along and jumps into that pit with you to lift you out. To help you. To strengthen you. To come alongside you. Paul would say late in life, towards the end of his life, he said, Everyone forsook me. May it not be charged against them. He forgives them. He releases them. He blesses them. You want to be free? Let it go. Keep short accounts. Forgive. Release it. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Some of us are still mad about stuff, and those people are long since dead. He says, everybody forsook me, may not be held against them, but here's who stood by me. He says, God stood by me. Paul said that at the end of his life. He actually was writing that in prison. He says, God stood by me. I wonder if we're so preoccupied with who's not with us that we're missing who is with us. God's got your back today. And he gets in the middle of the pit right with you. He fights with you. He prays for you. He's interceding for you to lift you up out of it. Would you stand to your feet? God has your back today. You're not alone. You're not on your own. You're not defeated. You're not living in fear any longer. Today is your day for freedom. I'm we, we trust this fun. message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.